go to movies, and about 15 minutes in, I would say to myself, oh no, this is a musical. (laughs) I've been dragged into a musical. But by the end of the musical, I find myself really liking the musical. Uh, One thought that comes to mind is My Fair Lady, you know. After watching that, those songs get ingrained into your mind and into your heart, and so you find yourself singing those repeatedly. Uh, The Muppets, some of my favorite characters of all time, were were great at this, and so I'm not going to try to sing any of the Muppet songs, but the, the point I want to make is Isaiah's narrative and Isaiah's message and Isaiah's prophecy for some reason, wants to draw out these beautiful, powerful songs of a servant who will be completely obedient, completely submissive, and on behalf of God's people, accomplish God's work in a way that no other servant, no other person, no other being could. So as I approach Isaiah 52 and 53, I just want to honestly say there's no way that I could overstate the importance of these verses to us as believers. I couldn't overstate it. In fact, some commentators and some scholars have called this the Bible in miniature. It's a mini Bible. So whether we're trying to understand the depths of baptism and what that means or communion and what that means or the cross and what that means everything that we preach and teach flows from what happens here in Isaiah 53 and the whole of the Christian life flows from what happens in Isaiah 53 this is the behind the scenes this is the underneath the surface that you and I must come to terms with and have in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. I really just need to be quiet and start reading it and let the Word and the text speak for itself. Uh, The chapter division between the end of 52 and the end of 53 really, with all due respect, shouldn't be there. This is one song that begins in verse 13 of 52 And then flows right into the rest of the chapter in 53. But the key phrase in verse 13 is, Behold my servant. This is God telling us, Give your attention. Give your mind. In a world that seems so chaotic, and there's so much going on globally, there's so much going on nationally, there's a lot going on personally with every single one of us. But just as your attention and your gaze would focus on something to the, not the detriment, but but to, to, to lessen the impact of everything else going on, here's where our focus needs to be. Now, had you walked into my house yesterday, starting about 345, you would have been disappointed to try to have a conversation with me because my mind was locked into Georgia, Florida. And I hate missing kickoff. I think I have something to do with what happens on the field. (laughs) But my wife, my family, other people are talking and milling. But I'll be honest, my my focus and my gauge for the next few hours is on on my passion, okay? One, One of my passions. Here is the ultimate passion, the passion of the Christ. Behold His servant, okay? So, if if I do this with every phrase, we'll we'll be here all day. I'm not going to do this. But behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. That's an interesting verse because he's declaring the end from the beginning. His servant will be highly exalted, lifted up, that's where this is going, but, but look now at the process through which the servant is glorified. Beginning with verse 
14, there is a shift into the suffering of the servant. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Look at the impact. Look at the, look at the, the scope of this. He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Verse 1 of 53. Who has believed our message? This is a report of an event and of a person. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to what? To fall upon him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment. And that literally reads in the Hebrew something like this. By oppressive injustice. By oppressive injustice, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off. He was cut out, cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Verse 10, but the Lord was pleased. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering... He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death, he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many, and he interceded for the transgressors. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your kindness, your mercy, your compassion which has presented to us today in our passage a beautiful picture of your suffering servant, Christ. God, may you help us by your grace to see ourselves, our circumstances, other people, and the world we live in through the lens of the glorious gospel of the passion of Christ.
Lord, may we love this. May we embrace this. May we find rest and strength in what Isaiah tells us about your son, your suffering servant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've often thought, if I ever am found in a prison cell, that's not a thought I have often. <laughs> so I don't want you to think I go around morbidly thinking, hey, I deserve to be in prison, right? But some people have been, and some people are. And so if you had to choose one particular passage of Scripture to keep in your cell, to think about, to work through, to focus on. For me personally, I would choose this one because of all that it tells us about the heart of God, the sinfulness of man, and the work of passion that Christ has done on our behalf to rescue us, save us, so that we might be forgiven so that we might be transformed, and so that we would have the promise and the hope of future glory. As I said earlier, there's a lot here. Uh, we've got a long way to go and a, a short time to get there, okay, if that's a familiar phrase for some of you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just structure our passage today and introduce our passage today, hoping and praying that you will make this a personal go-to passage for yourself in all the issues and all the circumstances that you find yourself in your daily life. So what I see in this particular passage today are six pictures, okay? Six perspectives, six angles on the cross of Christ and the suffering servant that you and I should have in our minds to not only understand this text, but to understand the gospel, to understand who God is and what he's done on our behalf. So we have a wonderful person on staff with us, Miss Sarah Beth Bledsoe, and she is a photographer. You may see her walking around campus at soccer, fall festival, even baptisms, taking photos from different angles. Sarah Beth is excellent at this. And so she's got all these angles of the same moment that show us different sides and different perspectives. So what I'm going to do with our text is show us from this text some of the different perspectives and angles on Christ and the gospel and his passion that you and I must remember in order to be encouraged to be the disciples that God has called us to be. So they're all going to start with the letter S. So all apologies to those who hate alliteration. But number one, the work of Christ, his passion on our behalf, number one, it is surprising. It is surprising. In fact, I, I, I'm really wanting to use a word stronger than surprise. The word actually is shocking. The passion of the Christ is shocking. And you get this, you get this from the text. In verse 13, the servant will be glorified. He will be lifted up. But then look at verse 14. Many people become very astonished at what has happened. Verse 14, his appearance is marred. Marred more than any man. And his form is marred more than the sons of men. Whatever he accomplishes has a, has a global impact to all the nations. That's very surprising. The mystery of the gospel is ultimately that God was going to call even Gentiles to himself. Kings will be so surprised and shocked that they will shut their mouths because they had no idea what was coming. They had not been told and they had not been heard. Here was something so dramatic and so amazing that it seemingly comes from nowhere. In fact, that's what it says earlier in verse 2 of 53. He grows up like a tender shoot, like a root that's out of, out of nothing. So the whole idea is that the gospel is amazing, it's surprising, it's shocking. 
It's like some of the events we see on the news and we say to our, our friend, our fa- did you see what happened? It's like some of the things that happened on Highway 27. Did you hear? And I mean that with all sincerity. This is a shocking truth that God ordained from eternity past that only those whom God would open the eyes and the heart and the ears and the minds to grasp could truly appreciate the surprising and shocking nature of what happened. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really? Of all places. That's just one example. Paul tells us later that the cross was so shocking to the Jews that the Jews stumbled over it because they could not embrace a crucified Messiah because someone who died on a tree was cursed by God. The Jews were so shocked that they couldn't embrace it or believe it. The Greeks, they thought it was absolute foolishness. And the Romans had a word for those who died on a cross. Loser. Loser. So I can't go into this any further, but I want us to understand that it is a shocking and surprising work that God would become man and live a perfect life and die a cruel death on a cross, suffering along the way, and actually bear the curse that you and I deserve to bear. His work is surprising. Surprising. And if nothing, verse 13, declaring that glory and exaltation is the end result of such suffering and humiliation. That's very shocking to natural men and women like you and me. It's counterintuitive. It goes against our nature. It goes against who, who we think we are and want to be. So the second S that I have for us, the second perspective or picture in this photo shoot, so to, so to speak, of, of the cross is not only is his work surprising, but it is extremely sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Uh, you know this from personal experience. Sin hurts. Sin is painful. Sin is heavy. And when someone sins against you in particular, you say to yourself, somebody needs to pay for this. The justice within us cries out, something needs to happen here. And so what we find in the suffering servant is that he suffers. Now, the terms throughout this text are pretty impactful, describing the depth of his sacrifice. He is a tender, gentle shoot, but here are the words, despised, forsaken, a man of sorrows, grief, stricken, smitten, wounded, Pierced, afflicted, crushed, scourged. In fact, his suffering was so sacrificial. Isaiah says he would be like one from whom men hide their face. They would not esteem him. They would hold him in contempt. So so his suffering wasn't just physical It wasn't just relational, it was also spiritual and emotional. And what we learn through his deep, painful sacrifice, on one behalf, we learn the depths of our own sinfulness. If you were to look at what happened to Christ, the word many of us would use would be, That's disgusting, right? Marred more than any man that we... It's so shocking we couldn't couldn't even look at it. We can't even look in that direction. And what God is showing us through the sacrificial atoning work of Christ is the ugliness 
and the grossness of our own sin. But also, as we talked about last week, Jesus absorbs the pain. Jesus absorbs the hurt so that the debt can be saved and the marriage can be healed. To borrow our images from last week, somebody's got to pay. Someone has to absorb the debt. Someone has to absorb the pain. And so seeing the sacrificial nature of his work tells me, hey, my sin looks like this, but also his love looks like this. So the the thing that shows me the ugly nature of sin shows me the beautiful nature of God's grace, amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would do this for me? Love is sacrificial. His work is sacrificial. We are beholding here the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are beholding here the promise that without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. His work is shocking, is sacrificial. Moving on. His work also is substitutionary. Substitutionary. And I know that's a, that's a lengthy word. But what I want to show you is that we have a single individual who's doing something for a group of people. And as I read through verses 4, 5, and 6, I I want us to highlight just for a moment that it was our grief that he bore, our sorrow he carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastened for our well-being, fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us have gone astray. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We have this singular individual who is a substitute, a vicarious instead of offering, so that a large group of people could be forgiven and made right with God. It is a vicarious substitutionary word. Now, now, living in a, a culture so fascinated with sports, we understand what a what a substitute is? I'm exhausted. Hey, raise my hand. Get a sub in here for me. I'm done. And someone comes in and takes someone else's place. So when we think about the gospel, what we are to realize is that God didn't just die for us. He died instead of us. He's taking the place that I deserve. He lives the life that I could never live. And he dies a death that I deserve to die. By his stripes, we are healed. So none of us can look at this and say, well, that has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with you. This draws the us and the our into the equation. To go back to college football, if Tennessee plays Alabama, I try to figure out a way they both can lose. I don't care, just so they both suffer. I remain neutral. Why, why do I remain neutral? Because I feel like that, that's, that's other people's stuff. That's their passion. That's their team. I'm not worried about that. But none of us can look at what Christ has done and claim neutrality. There is no neutrality. We're on one side or the other. Someone was once asked, what's the most important word in the Bible? A great theologian. And the normal answer would be expected to be love or hope or faith. He said, no, the most important word is the Greek word hupair, which means instead of. Instead of. For us, he died. He died instead of us to demonstrate both God's holiness and his justice and God's amazing love. The simplest explanation of the gospel By his 
stripes, we are healed. A substitutionary, vicarious atonement by God through Jesus on the cross for us. Isaiah emphasizes that. Moving on to number four, five, and six, and I'll work a little bit quicker here. His work is also submissive. It was submissive. Notice that counterintuitive to our nature, he did no violence. There was no whining, shouting, or complaining. He was a willing, obedient, surrendered servant. No one took his life from him, but he willingly, submissively, lays it down on behalf of the sheep. That's extremely different from the rest of humanity. Because if anybody speaks to us about submission and surrender and self-denial or bearing things for others that we didn't cause or that we seem to have nothing to do with, we are the first to start whining and complaining. There was no violence found in his mouth. So when you and I are called to submit and to surrender and to die to ourselves... We look at the perfect submission of Christ and we pray that His grace and strength would empower our submissiveness and our gentleness and our graciousness when we too face injustice and difficulty in the circumstances of life on a daily basis. Hey, He was oppressed. He was afflicted. But he did not open his mouth. He had perfect submission. Moving on, number five, his work is also satisfactory. It's satisfactory. It was, it was satisfying. Now, this is another shocking thing. What do we do with verse 10? That the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the personal God of Israel, Yahweh, how in the world is he pleased to crush this suffering servant? The suffering servant is absolutely submissive and righteous and perfect. So when God the Father looks down at the work of Jesus, both his righteous life and his atoning death and his resurrection, God the Father looks down at Jesus and he is extremely and perfectly satisfied. This is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. It is finished. It is satisfied what is satisfied the justice of God the holiness of God the demands of God listen God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me so that all those who are in Christ by faith God looks down at us and the shocking amazing truth is that through the gospel God looks at us and he says of us you too are my beloved child in whom I am what well pleased all of this pleased God because Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross so that you and I might be saved. The great problem before us is how can sinful men and women be right with God? How can we satisfy God in his holy demands? We do that by grace receiving the gift of God's satisfaction that he has upon his Son. The passion of Christ, the work of Christ is absolutely satisfactory. And then last of all, it is significant. And this is the understatement of the sermon. It is extremely significant. In that this work accomplishes for us not just salvation... But if you find yourself where I find myself often, in need of encouragement, in need of faith, in need of hope, in need of love, in need of service, in need of endurance, in need of joy, that it is the amazing work of Christ on the cross on our behalf that is the source, not only of my forgiveness, but of all that God calls us to be and do. 
So his work is personal and significant and impactful, not only for eternity, but for our daily lives. And not just for our daily lives, but also for eternity. So at the end of the sermon, let's call the question. What is the question? Look at verse 1 of 53. Paul uses this later in the book of Romans. Who has believed our message? This seems to indicate that faith will be rare, that faith will be a work of God in His grace. Do you believe this message? You might say, hey, give me a sign. Give me a sign that this is true, that it's relevant, that it's significant, that God is still at work, that God is still present, that the gospel is still, you know, doing God's work in, in in a chaotic world. Show me a miraculous sign. We've got two in our service today that not only demonstrate the gospel, but also demonstrate those who receive and believe the gospel. The first sign is the sign of baptism. Is that not a strange thing to do? We're taking adults, people like Miss Debbie, <laughs> a grown woman. And this guy's standing back here and he's putting, in, putting her under the water, putting her under the water, and, and then he's pulling her back up. Why in the world do we do that? And here in just a few moments, we're about to, we're about to take a, a piece of bread and we're about to take a cup and, and, and this guy standing up here is going to lead everybody at the same time in taking it. The early church were called cannibalistic because that was such an odd and strange. Well, they talk about eating bread and drinking blood. Those people are weird. They're to be hated. But the fact that the church still practices baptism and communion is a sign given to God to the church that the resurrection of Jesus really happened. That his death really happened. And those who believe the message symbolize and mark their entry into Christ and the gospel and their taking of Christ, receiving of Christ and his benefits and the gospel through the signs that Jesus our resurrected Lord, left with the church. So God does still speak. God does still move. And those who believe this report and this message communicate that to themselves and the world through, one way through, two ways through, baptism and communion. God still works. God still speaks. God still moves. These signs would not be here were he not really crucified, buried, and resurrected. Let's move on to the sign of communion. Father, thank you for your word. I'm inadequate as a person, as a pastor, as a human being. I'm an inadequate communicator. But our adequacy is from Christ. Our adequacy is in his word. And you have spoken through Isaiah 53 about the depths of sin and our need for rescue. Also the joy, the power and the grace of resurrection and glory. May we not take these moments lightly. Jesus left this with us on purpose to remind us in a chaotic fallen world with broken lives and broken hearts how much you love us. And that by faith we can receive the benefits of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. May your passion increase our passion to love you and to love and serve others. Father, we need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, as we move into communion at this time, I'd like to ask our deacons if they'll come forward. We will serve first um, the bread and then the cup. We invite all Christians to partake this morning.
If someone skips you, misses you, hey, raise your hand. These men will come along and serve you. I appreciate our deacons and their service. Darrell Langley, would you pray for us before we enter into communion, please?
couple of things before we close. Miss Debbie, if you'll come stand with me. Miss Debbie Blevins, as you know, was baptized earlier here in our church. And uh, with everyone who's baptized in our church, we present them a personal copy of God's Word and a baptism certificate, if I can find it here. I think it may be in your Bible. Miss Debbie also desires to formally unite with Glenlock Baptist Church. So what is the pleasure of Glenlock Baptist Church? We already have a first and a second on the front row. So all <laughs> you're, you're important today. That's absolutely right. All in favor, please let me know by saying amen. amen. Accepting Miss Debbie and our church formally here at Glenlock. And then uh, if Avery and Aubrey would come. I also have Bibles for both of them. Aubrey. You have a great first name, by the way. And then Avery. Aubrey united with us formally a couple of weeks ago when she came forward. Also, Avery desires to unite with us formally at Glenlock here. Um, her baptism, her profession of faith. Uh, what's the pleasure of Glenlock Baptist Church? Amen. Okay. Hey, y'all too are important this morning, just like Miss Debbie. All in favor, let me know by saying amen. 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 I'd like to ask Joseph and Jennifer if they would come and stand uh, with their daughters on this wonderful day for their family, and then after we close, if you would like to come and greet Miss Debbie and welcome Debbie and Aubrey and Avery into our fellowship, um, that would be great. So before we close, a couple of things to announce and to pray for. So a lot of you have been asking about Marsha Harper. 
She's doing much better. Terry gave me a report this morning that she's growing stronger. She may get up today. We all know and love Miss Marcia. Continue to pray for God to strengthen her following her difficult week at, at Tanner. Also, Miss Joe Washburn, Stephanie's mother, continues to improve. She's still at Tanner. We'll probably go to rehab uh, somewhere soon. So that's Marcia and Joe. Also, I want to let y'all know Ginger Harper's father, Mr. Gary Archer, passed away this week. So let's pray for Ginger and their family. Her dad was a great guy. Love the Lord. Love preaching. Always encourage me. Y'all pray for the family of Gary Archer. Also, my, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, Shirley Boyd, she had married Tony Pippen. Tony died over the weekend. So y'all be in prayer for my mother-in-law, Shirley Boyd, and our family. Several of you have asked about that and been encouraging. So I just encourage you to pray for my mother-in-law, Shirley Boyd, and, and our family. His funeral service will be tomorrow. Of course, you know nationally there's a situation in Maine with the shooting there, and then internationally continue to pray for the situation regarding Israel and Hamas and Russia and the Ukraine. I mean, there are things personally that we have going on, and then things global that we have going on. Let's pray. Let's pray this prayer. Father, Thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's all I had. Um, Catherine, don't forget Fall Festival at 5 o'clock. And uh, hey, and Avery said her mom is doing a trunk or treat. So. <laughs> and Bryson, just a reminder, Bryson More said reason to a, come. Thank you, we Avery. We have a trunk. Try to be here at 445 so we can get those parked and lined up before. And if you come and don't have a kid, it's fine. Just bring a bag of candy, and they'll all come to you real quick. And we'll run out of candy, so just go ahead and bring more. Um, so that's a wonderful event for our community. So come and hang out with us this evening. If you uh, will, together, let's sing Family of God to close our service. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain. Cleansed by his blood, join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Y'all have a good week. We'll see you this evening. Anything happen back here? <laughs> you didn't eat all the candy, did you? <laughs> <laughs>